0: Welcome back to Crown on Canvas, the tutors in art and history. In this season of Accessible Art History the podcast, we're using portraits to explore the magnificent and sometimes maligned Tudor dynasty. From Henry VII to Elizabeth I, this family ruled England for 118 years. And don't forget the six wives of Henry VIII, we'll cover them too. Each episode has an accompanying blog post, so make sure to check it out using the link in the show notes. We can't wait to go on this exciting art historical journey with you. After a brief hiatus, Accessible Art History the podcast is back. And I'm kicking things off with part one of a biography on England's most infamous ruler. Henry VIII was king of England for 36 years, and during his tenure, he married six women, broke with the Catholic Church, and defined a dynasty. This week's episode will cover his birth, early life, and the first years of his reign. Today's portrait, which you can see on the episode's associated blog post linked in the show notes, is the earliest known image of Henry VIII. It's attributed to Netherlandish artist, Meinert Wijnick, and was painted around 1509. In this work, we see Henry as an 18-year-old man. Due to the approximate date, this was either painted right before or right after he became the King of England. The viewer can see his signature red hair hanging around his head. He's still young and a clean-shaven man who exudes youth and a slight air of uncertainty. Henry wears numerous jewels and his clothes are clearly made of a fine fabric. This is a nod to the large treasury his father, Henry VII, built up during his reign. It's interesting to look at this portrait, knowing what we do now about the type of king Henry VIII would become, but for now, he's just a young man on the cusp of greatness. Now that we've examined the portrait, let's turn back the clock 18 years and talk about Henry VIII's early life. He was born on June 28, 1491 at Greenwich Palace. As the second-born son of King Henry VII and his queen, Elizabeth of York, Henry wasn't destined to be king. In fact, a bit ironically, he was likely meant to be for the church. But as a prince, he was given an excellent education consisting of subjects like theology, music, languages, poetry, and sports. By the age of three, Henry was appointed to numerous positions, including Constable of Dover Castle, Lord Warden of the Cinque Ports, Earl Marshal of England, Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, a Knight of the Bath, the Duke of York, and the Warden of the Scottish Marches. While this may be confusing to a modern audience, it made perfect sense in Tudor England. By appointing his son to these positions, Henry VII ensured royal control over them, making sure that no one could rise up and take the lucrative positions. By all accounts, young Henry resembled his York side of the family. He inherited his grandfather Edward IV's height, extroverted personality, and reddish-gold hair. Apparently, Henry enjoyed hunting and other athletic activities, which were naturally a part of his studies as a prince. But soon, something would happen that would completely upend the royal family and the stability of the Tudor monarchy. But first, let's take a quick break. Hi there, my name is Annalisa and I'm the founder of Accessible Art History. My goal is to bring art history content to anyone that's curious. All my platforms can be accessed for free, but there are ways you can support my cause. If you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a rate and review on your favorite platform. I also have a Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee account set up if you feel inclined to support accessible art history monetarily. However, I commit to always bringing my work for free because I believe that education should be accessible for those who want and need it. Thank you for listening to today's episode and keep an eye out for more art history content from Accessible Art History. Alright, now that we're back, let's talk about this pivotal moment in history. As mentioned before the break, Henry was the second son of Henry VII and Elizabeth of York. The couple's oldest child was Prince Arthur. As the first child of the union between warring houses, he was named after the legendary king in hopes that he would continue the relatively peaceful and prosperous reign of his father. Sadly, these hopes came crashing down on April 2nd, 1502. Arthur died from the dreaded sweating sickness at Ludlow Castle. The news didn't reach the king and queen until two days later, and by all accounts, the royal couple was devastated. Not only were the, their eldest child dead, but a lot of the hope for the new dynasty was crushed. Of course, there was still young Henry, who was almost 11 at the time. But as a second son, he was preparing for a career in the church, not as the future king of England. For the next several years, Henry was given a crash course in kingship, was given the new titles of Prince of Wales, Duke of Cornwall, and Earl of Chester in 1504. But outside of these appointments, we don't know much about Henry's life at the time. His father kept him fairly sequestered out of fear that his only surviving son would pass away prematurely as well. Sadly, in February 1503, less than a year after he lost his brother, Henry VIII's beloved mother, Elizabeth, died in childbirth. By all accounts, Henry was close to his mother and the loss would have certainly taken its toll on the young boy. Over the next six years, Henry would work to learn the rules of kingship from his father, on April 21, 1509, Henry VII followed his wife and son into the afterlife. Henry became King Henry VIII, just five weeks shy of his 18th birthday. Little did England know that this king's reign was going to change the political and spiritual landscape of the country. One of Henry's first acts as king was to declare his intentions to marry his brother's widow, the Dowager Princess of Wales. Her name was Catherine of Aragon, and she was the youngest child of King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain. Henry declared that it was his father's dying wish that he marry Catherine, Which does seem a bit unlikely, but hey, that was a story he stuck with. Despite the lack of papal dispensation and an unresolved dowry issue, the two wed on June 11, 1509. Two weeks later, they were crowned King and Queen of England in a joint coronation ceremony. Almost immediately after their wedding, Catherine became pregnant with the couple's first child. Sadly, the daughter was stillborn. A year later, she gave birth to a healthy son. Named after his father and grandfather, the royal couple celebrated with days of feast and jousting. But only seven weeks later, the infant prince also passed away. Catherine had two more stillbirths before giving birth to a healthy baby girl in February 1516. She was named Mary and would be the only one of her parents' children to survive to adulthood. By all accounts, Henry and Catherine had a happy marriage. As with many kings, Henry was known to take mistresses. Bessie Blount, who bore an illegitimate son by the king in 1519, Mary Boleyn, and one of the Stafford sisters were known to have shared his bed, but there may have been other liaisons. However, in the 1520s, one woman would capture Henry's attention and change the landscape of England forever. But that's for another episode. Before we go in that direction, though, let's take things back to Henry's first political moves. Two days after their coronation, Henry made his first big move. He arrested his father's two most unpopular ministers, Richard Epson and Edmund Dudley. They were imprisoned on charges of treason and executed the following year. This was the first of a long line of executions that Henry ordered to remove anyone who was in the way of his power. Another way that Henry wanted to prove his power was to emulate his predecessor, Henry V. He led forces into numerous battles to stake England's place on the European power field. Though it was an island, England did play a part in politics during the day, especially now that the Civil War of the Roses was over. One of the biggest moments in the political arena was a field of cloth of gold in 1520. This was an elaborately planned meeting between Henry VIII and his counterpart, King Francis I of France. Both men were in their 20s, athletic, handsome, and powerful, so it's easy to say that they were rivals. For centuries, both countries caught constantly over territorial claims in France. Because of war and intermarriages, both men had a claim to the title of King of France. But because there was a larger threat on the horizon, the Holy Roman Empire, the courts on both sides of the pond were interested in the idea of peace. In 1518, Cardinal Thomas Wolsey came up with the idea of the Treaty of Universal Peace. It would essentially, quote, guarantee peace between France and England united against the threat of the Holy Roman Empire. It was this treaty that was signed two years later at the Field of Cloth of Gold and put Henry and his court at the head of European politics. This event was also a spectacle on both sides. Held in a neutral site just outside of Calais in France, each king tried to outdo one another by showing off wealth and power. For example, Henry had fountains set up that flowed with free wine 24 hours a day. It truly must have been a sight to behold. At the beginning of his reign, Henry VIII certainly seemed to have everything going for him. He was handsome, powerful, had a strong queen, and a full treasury. But as many of us know, things would soon take a tumultuous turn. Make sure to tune in next time to hear the continuation of the reign of Henry VIII. Well, that's a wrap on today's episode. Remember to check out the blog post linked in the show notes for images and sources. New episodes come out on Fridays, so make sure to follow at accessible.art.history on Instagram for updates. Until then, happy listening.